Welcome, future doctors, to another episode of the Future Minority Doctor Podcast with Dr. Sulma and Marina, where we bring you conversations to empower and inspire you to contribute to your community and the world by becoming a doctor. Hello again, future doctors. Once again, thank you for joining us for another episode on our podcast. I'm very excited for today's podcast as we have a special doctor on our episode that many of our listeners have requested. Today, we will be talking to a minority doctor who is a trauma surgeon. Cool, right? So let me go ahead and introduce this awesome doctor. Dr. Rosanna Guzman Curtis grew up in Riverside, California, and attended UCLA where she majored in psychobiology and obtained a minor in Chicano-Chicana studies. She then attended the University of Pittsburgh where she completed a master's in public health. Dr. Guzman Curtis received her medical degree from the University of Rochester where she also completed her general surgery residency and surgical critical care fellowship. She then joined Trauma and Acute Care Surgery Service at SUNY, which stands for the State University of New York in Syracuse, New York, in 2016. She is the Surgery Clerkship Director and most recently has accepted a position as an Associate Trauma Medical Director for the Trauma Program at SUNY Upstate. So as you can see, she is definitely a rock star doctor. Dr. Guzman Curtis, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to join us. It is really great to have you here today to be a voice heard by many of our listeners. As a matter of fact, you are actually the first minority trauma surgeon I personally have ever met. So I'm hoping we inspire young minds today to become future surgeons. So um, I'd like to start out by um, asking you, how did you decide you wanted to be a doctor and specifically a surgeon? You know, I think that's always a complicated question because I think back to like the first moment or thought I had about becoming a doctor. And I think it was just this idea that occurred to me. I didn't really have any like doctors in my life as a child. I only saw doctors when we were sick. You know, um, my parents didn't have insurance. And so that in some ways impacted how frequently I saw a doctor. But for some reason, it struck me as something that would be really great to do. I felt like it would be a, a way to help people. And I thought, you know, I always liked being in school and learning. And so I think in my mind, this became a great idea. And I feel like I started sharing this with various adults and mentors in my life, like my teachers or parents or other, you know, family members. And everyone always seemed to be excited about that idea. So in some ways it was like, okay, well, everyone thinks that's a good idea. And I started to kind of pursue it in that way. But then with time, I started to learn more about what the career was like. And and it just became this big goal and, and a dream that I wanted to achieve. As I got deeper and deeper into things, I realized like, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. It's exactly what I pictured. And so I always feel really grateful that all these things kind of came together in a way that allows me to be a doctor today. And and sometimes I almost feel like, wow, I can't believe that this idea came true because, you know, I think it's a long road and there's often challenges that come along the way that make you think like, I won't be able to make it to the next step, but somehow through some grit and the will to achieve something, um, it can be done. As to the other part of your question uh, with regards to deciding to be a surgeon, that was also kind of an accident because I entered medical school being interested kind of in women's health. And I kind of pictured myself as wanting to become an OBGYN. So like a doctor who takes care of women and helps deliver babies and also deals with other types of diseases that just affect women. And 
kind of went through school thinking that. And so in the third year of medical school, we do rotations on like every kind of different specialty or at least a large majority of them. And my very last one was surgery because in my mind, I had zero interest in being a surgeon. I never pictured myself as a surgeon. The other students that, you know, were in my class that wanted to be surgeons, they kind of knew that from like the very beginning of their life. So in my mind, I was like, yeah, I'm nothing like them. And I also had this perceived sort of stereotype of what surgeons were like. Like the surgeons are the mean people in the hospital. They're, they yell and they're, you know, they're just tough, rough people. I started my rotation on surgery and it was like this entire world opened up to me. And the surgeons were not all these terrible jerks like I had pictured. And I just loved every day on my rotation. And I'd come home and I'd tell my roommates, well, this is what we did today. And Dr. Saloom did this and Dr. Fong was doing this, you know, just kind of going on, telling all the stories of what had happened in that day. And they started to kind of tease me and say, like, are you going to do surgery now? And I said, no, it just was a really great day. But as the weeks wore on in the rotation, I realized, oh gosh, I really am in a bit of a dilemma or a crisis here. I had to kind of really think hard about what I wanted to do because I was just loving surgery so much. And I felt, well, I haven't been preparing for surgery. I've been preparing to be an OBGYN. And ultimately, you know, like it, like any time ever in things you're going through life, you kind of encounter mentors or people that you connect with. So Dr. Stassen, who to this day is one of my greatest mentors, she and I had a meeting and she basically said, well, try them both out again. Um, as you go into your fourth year, spend another four weeks with the OB team and spend another four weeks with a surgical team. You pick the team. At the end of that, maybe you'll have a better sense of what you want to do. And I did. So I did trauma surgery in July of my fourth year of medical school, and I loved it. It was crazy busy. It's one of the busiest times of the year for students and for, for the trauma service and for everything. And then I did OB, and within the first week or two of being on the OB rotation, I knew it. I was like, okay, yep, the surgeons are my people. That's what I want to do. That's kind of how it happened. So it's just, you know, some of it is just kind of being in the right place at the right time, meeting the right mentors. And having a lot of um, thoughts to yourself about what you really want to do and, and what speaks to you. Like, where do you think your talents are and how are you best suited to help people? Because all the doctors that work every day, the nurses, all the people that come to this hospital every day want to help people. And we're all doing it, but in different ways, in ways that kind of match the way we think or our talents and things like that. That's amazing. So you didn't know you wanted to be a surgeon initially. I know a lot of the students, when they go into medical school, you kind of have an idea, and it sounds like you did, but along the way and towards the end of your third year is where you discovered it. That's great. Yes. Um, I get a lot of questions asked by students about what a day is like for a trauma surgeon. Can you talk about what your typical day is like? Sure. So it's hard. That's a funny thing. It kind of makes me laugh to think about what a typical day is like for me as a trauma surgeon, because there is no typical day. And I think in some ways, people who decide to become trauma surgeons, they probably thrive in that kind of environment where anything can happen on any day. It could be the most boring day ever or just the most exciting day. I should probably take a step back and kind of explain in my role as a trauma surgeon, I really take care of three kinds of teams or services in a hospital. So one of the hats that I wear as a surgeon is to be a trauma surgeon. So when I'm being trauma surgeon or I'm the trauma surgeon for the week, my job is to take care of people who come in to the emergency room or to the hospital um, having had a trauma of some sort. 
they crashed their car. Um, they fell from a ladder while they were working. They were in some kind of altercation and they've been stabbed or they've been shot or, you know, any number of ways that people can get hurt. So that's what that's trauma surgeon job. Now, in addition to that, the kind of training that I have also prepares me to deal with emergency general surgery problems. So that is, again, people that typically are coming in through the emergency department, but they have some kind of problem that needs very urgent attention from a surgeon. So for example, appendicitis. So when somebody's appendix gets infected or inflamed, they need it to be removed. And so that's kind of one of the common operations I might do. Or sometimes people can have like a gallbladder attack or they have some kind of perforation or like a hole in one of their intestines for whatever reason, an ulcer, um, a cancer, any number of things that happen emergently where there's no chance to kind of plan for it. It just happens. I take care of patients in that capacity when I'm the acute care surgeon or the emergency general surgeon on call. And then finally, the other kind of hat that I wear or one of the other teams that I lead is the surgical ICU team. So that team deals with really, really sick patients in the hospital who sometimes need machines to help them breathe, like it's a machine called a ventilator, or sometimes they need medicines that help their blood pressure stay up or really high-dose antibiotics, things like that. And those are patients who've had some kind of surgery event that needed them to be in that ICU as opposed to a medical ICU, uh, like where it's somebody who might have like a pneumonia or a problem going on with their heart or things like that. In any given week, I'm assigned to one of those three different teams to lead. So just to set that background. So as far as the typical day, so when I'm the trauma surgeon on call, usually we start the morning out with uh, what we call morning report or trauma rounds. We basically kind of go through the list of the patients that we have in the hospital and any new patients that came in overnight. And we kind of make a plan for them, figure out who's ready to go home, who needs procedures done. And we kind of just make a plan for the day. And we have a big team because of course there's a lot of work to be done. And so I kind of help lead that team and we make plans together and, and carry them out. While we're doing that though, we're also carrying the pager. So if at some point while we're going around carrying out these plans or seeing the patients, the pager may go off and then we've got to go down to the emergency room and start taking care of people there. Sometimes we get through our rounds and our plans and everything as I described, and then we're just waiting to see what happens. Other times we're right in the middle of it and something comes in. So we stop what we're doing and we run downstairs and take care of the person in the emergency room. And so because of that, like no day is exactly the same. You know, we kind of start out with the plan, but we really have a lot of flexibility and have to work in an environment where sometimes I don't have a lot of time to make a decision. I can't think about something too long because it's life or death. And so um, it can be a high pressure environment and situation. So for me, I feel like I thrive in that environment. I like that sort of chaos, if you will, like there's just enough chaos, but we're the people who bring the calm to the chaos. So I like that. Um, and I think that's what ultimately helped me decide that this is where I, where I felt the best. Like I, I was doing a little bit of something every day. There was variability, um, like, you know, different things every day. And we were really taking care of the sickest of the sick people. And many times we were successful and sometimes we aren't. And those days are hard too. And, and they wear on us and we remember those patients, but thankfully there's enough wins that it helps us, you know, keep doing this job. Wow. That sounds great. Would you say that that's probably the best thing you like about your job and probably the worst thing you like about your job? Yeah, I think in some ways, um, you know, it's interesting because 
sometimes we have this kind of hard front because we see really terrible things. So if I think about a specific day or a specific moment, sometimes it's a lot. It's a big load to carry if you just think about it in that moment. So you have to kind of think about all these other good moments to help you clear your mind and focus on helping that person that you can help right now. And so it is um, really hard. You know, it's hard for me when I have to tell someone that their family member didn't make it. Like, I hate that the most of anything. And and those are, um, it's like this, this very specific pain that um, it's hard to forget it. You know, I, it's just, there's these things that just get kind of burned in your mind. But, but just the same, there's a lot of gratitude that patients have. And um, that I think far outshadows the tough days. Like it makes it worth doing this every day and, um, and getting up in the middle of the night because I didn't talk about that when we were talking about the typical day, but when I'm on trauma call, any time of day or night that somebody needs a, a surgeon to be there emergently, it's myself and my partners at this hospital, of course, or trauma surgeons and acute care surgeons everywhere else who come in to take care of the patients in the middle of the night. So people get hurt all times of the day. Uh, people need emergency surgery all times of the day. So that's also part of the job. Well, I'm so grateful for all the work that you do, and I'm sure a lot of people feel that way, but your fellow colleague physicians are grateful for what you guys do. Thank you. I, and I feel grateful for things that everybody else does. You know, I, I don't think we're like these big heroes walking around in the hospital, and I really think that it's important that we, like, we all respect what everybody contributes to caring for patients, and, you know, I I, I really believe that. And I tell the students when they come through, it's like, I don't care if you become a surgeon or not. If you do, I'm really excited. But if you become a, a dermatologist or a pediatrician or an emergency medicine doctor, we need everybody. So we all find our place in the world and, and we do our best to, to help. And we can't make it without each other. So as much as sometimes people kind of try to paint us as these wonderful heroes and stuff, and, and, I, and I'm humbled by that, I don't want to not recognize the work that everybody else is doing to make it all happen too. I definitely agree with everything you said as well. We, we all work together. I get a lot of questions too from students who want to go to medical school, maybe be surgeons, specifically trauma surgeons, and they ask about the residency and fellowship, the training. So can you talk a little bit about what your residency and fellowship training was like? Sure. Um, so like you mentioned in the uh, really kind introduction, um, I went to medical school, residency, and my fellowship at uh, the University of Rochester, a really wonderful medical school. So for any of you guys looking for a great school, definitely check it out. So residency for surgery is five years at most programs. Um, sometimes um, the residencies have like an extra one or two years of research. And I guess because I know some of you guys out there may not know what is residency, um, I'll just take one little back step and explain that. So when we finish medical school, so you'll do your college, then you'll go to medical school. And when you graduate medical school, every doctor has to go through a residency. So it's kind of additional training, but it's now specifically in whatever you want to be, a surgeon, a pediatrician, whatever it is. And for surgery, you spend five more years after medical school to reach that goal of becoming a surgeon. And during that time, we rotate through a different uh, type of service uh, and rotation. So we learn about thoracic surgery, which is where um, chest surgery, basically. So things related to um, organs in the chest, like the lungs or the esophagus. There's cardiac surgery, of course, dealing with the heart. We deal with like cancer surgery. So that's called surgical oncology. 
We do general surgery, which is kind of what I do. That's a little bit of everything, you know, hernias and uh, appendix, gallbladder, any number of things like that. Like kind of we're the jack of all trades, if you will, in general surgery. And then pediatric surgery too, because of course we need surgeons who are trained specifically for kids. Anyway, so we kind of go through all these different teams over the years, over the five years. And then when that's all done, um, we go into something called a fellowship. And that's where you get even additional training in one of these fields. It is not required. So many, many, many surgeons just do their um, medical school followed by the residency, the five years I described, and then they go out to become surgeons. Uh, And so when you're done with those five years, you can be a general surgeon. And then again, the fellowship would be just additional training. So if you need ped surgery training or, you know, plastic surgery, et cetera. So that's kind of how the process works. And as far as like what it's like, it's really hard work. Um, We work a lot. There's rules now for this. And so kind of the general rule is that we work uh, no more than 80 hours in a week. And that's a lot. So that's like two full-time jobs, right? Most people work 40 hours and that's a full-time job. So it's a lot of hard work, but I think you make the best friends, you learn so much. And it's, you know, when I think back on that time, as much as there were really hard days, it was one of my most favorite times of my life because you just meet people from everywhere and you're learning so much and experiencing so much and just becoming who you're going to be as a surgeon. And so I think it's really an amazing time and an amazing experience. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. That's just a common question. They wonder what the training is like. and Yeah. So it is long. So being a surgeon takes a long time. But I like I always tell my students too, is one thing to remember when you're thinking about what you want to do with your life, whatever it is, it's like, no matter what, one day you're going to turn 30 and one day you're going to turn 40 and then it'll be 50 and it, the time is going to go by. So you better be doing something that you love every day because aging is inevitable. The time's going to go by. So don't let time intimidate you and make you feel like that's the wrong choice. Cause I just really want to get out there and start making money next week. You know, don't think about it like that. Think about what's going to make me get up in the morning, right? Like for me, I have to think I get up at one in the morning to come see what's wrong with somebody because I really love doing this job. If I hated this job, that would be like impossible, you know, to have to do that. So find the thing that you'll do, even on the days you really don't want to go to work, you'll get up and do it because these people are worth it to you. The people you work with and the patients you take care of never pick something because how you think it's going to be easier or harder. Pick it because it's what drives you, what makes you happy and something that you want to learn more about every day. Definitely agree. I share a lot of the similar um, advice with students as well. You have to follow your passion. Exactly. Totally agree. So I'm going to change gears a little and ask about your upbringing and background. And then also if you can just include if you were the first doctor in your family. Sure. So I am the first doctor in my family. So I, like um, you mentioned before, I grew up in Riverside um, in Southern California. My mother um, was an immigrant. She came to the States um, as a young teenager. And my dad was a child of immigrants or is, he's not a was, he, he still is. and you know, they met in LA and they got married and then they had us and then we moved to Riverside. And so I'm the eldest of four kids. Uh, My parents were very, very supportive and clear of the importance of education, right? In their minds, it's like, you have to go to school, you have to do good work at school. And, and that's a way that they felt like this is a way that, um, that our family can succeed and that you can succeed and be able to like have a great future. 
So they always like emphasize the importance of that. And fortunately, I think we had a lot of, you know, intrinsic motivation, meaning like motivation that came from us. Like we wanted to do it for us, but certainly like the support that my parents gave us or this like advice probably also led to that motivation we had within us, right? Because everything we do, part of it is what motivates me as a person. So anyways, that's kind of where we grew up. You know, I went to public school and then for college, um, you know, I I was really the first person in my family to go to like a four-year college. My dad did do some time at a community college to get more skills related to like his work and his trade and stuff like that. But as far as like a big university, I was the first. And so I ended up going to UCLA and really, um, I think, you know, a huge part of me being able to get to that point. Uh, really goes to many of my teachers. I mean, they're so special to me. I think of so many of my teachers, but in particular, I um, participated in AVID, which I think is still around. And it's like a, you know, a college prep program that's targeted for students who, um, who are first generation college students or, you know, don't have a lot of uh, knowledge about the process and everything like that. Um, And so that was a huge support for me, like getting there. You know, my teacher, Miss Graham was really like so tough on us and made us like practice study skills and like taking notes. And we had to research colleges and do all this stuff that was sort of like annoying, right? Cause it's like, oh, this homework sucks, you know? But I realized now how much that helped us because we were building up this knowledge over those years with her so that when it came time to apply, we were ready to go. So that's a little bit about me. Um, but I think all these you know, these efforts and the emphasis on education has certainly shaped me and my siblings as well. One of my sisters is, um, is a teacher. Um, my brother's an engineer and my baby sister is still in high school. Oh, that's amazing. Your parents did an awesome job. (laughs) Yeah, they did. Um, and they still do because they're pretty wonderful people. Do you feel like your background influenced your academic and professional journey in any way? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, there are certain things that I, I look back on and I, I realized, you know, as I was reflecting a little bit on my journey here in, in preparation for talking with you guys today, I really feel like a lot of it is giving credit to tons of people, which I could never name all the people, you know. I think it's important to look out for like various support programs for students. You know, UCLA is a huge school, so Um, A lot of my support came from like some friends, this core group of friends that I had, but we all kind of came together because we were part of a a program that had tutoring for students, like, like students of color or students who may have come from sort of disadvantaged backgrounds and things like that. And, you know, I think sometimes there's a little bit of a dilemma, right? Because you kind of don't want to distinguish yourself and you want to be like everybody else. Um, But then there's another part that probably recognizes that, yes, there are some differences in like the resources that you may have had getting to that point compared to another student. And it doesn't make you better or worse than the other person. I certainly don't mean to suggest anything like that, but I think sometimes it's okay to use those supports and not feel like, you know, don't take it as like, I'm using uh, like a crutch or I didn't earn it just as much as the next person because you're getting uh, these supports. And a lot of times it's, you know, you form these core group of people that will support you and help you. So, you know, I think that my teachers, did a great job, like getting to the point of college and, and all of that. And, and I think certainly those programs that like UCLA offered to help support me um, as a young student coming in, you know, never having been at a university or anything like that uh, was certainly really important. So look out for those things when you guys get to the point of uh, your, whatever college you end up choosing to take advantage of those kinds of things. 
and other students that may share experiences with you because you guys will form a, a big support for one another. Great, wonderful feedback for a lot of people listening. Uh, when you were going through your entire journey to become a doctor, what would you say was the one thing that made you question yourself most about if this was an achievable goal? Hmm. You know, it's hard to think of any one specific moment. You know, I think a lot of times it's it's little moments really that I think make you question things because maybe you don't do as well on an exam that you wanted to, or you kind of see the long road ahead of you. You know, we were talking about that a little bit earlier today. And then it just seems like, oh my gosh, is this even worth it? So sometimes it's just little things that your own mind does to you sometimes, you know, because in my mind, I was so, I feel like I'm a very determined person. So I was like, there's no way I'm quitting. I'm doing this. Um, so it wasn't ever like, a, I don't believe in myself kind of situation. It's just those moments where you kind of get down on yourself sometimes for a day or two when you're getting over a, like a bad grade or, you know, you didn't, you applied for a program and you didn't get in or things like that. They're just little tiny failures or blip in the road. You know, I hate to even call them failures. Um, they're just little times, little moments of discouragement. So I think it's just overcoming those because cumulatively, meaning like if they stack up a bunch of these events over time and you let that get to you, then I think that's when like real discouragement sets in. And so that's what you got to watch out for, I think, um, is, you know, keeping your mind strong and your will strong and, you know, finding whatever it is that makes you keep going because that's what helps you be able to dismiss those thoughts when they come into your head. I'm so glad you said all of that. We've had some podcast episodes where we talk exactly of everything that you just brought up as the common thoughts that come in when that fear of failure, basically, and, you know, trying to go there in those moments. Bad test is always a big one for high achievers. So thank you for, for sharing that because we've touched on those things. Yes, um, absolutely. Before as well. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, and this is because I don't know much about it either myself, but what about uh, diversity in your profession? Oh, that's a great question. So, you know, I think across the board and, you know, I guess part of the mission of the efforts that you guys are making with this podcast is that there are, you know, not that many minorities in medicine. I think in surgery, um, it's probably even more so. I don't know the exact numbers or statistics, but I do think surgery itself is kind of was probably amongst the most traditional of specialties where it was very much, you know, there was this kind of characteristic, you know, vision, right? So if I told you to describe a surgeon to me right now, what, who would you describe? Is it going to be someone that might look like me, you know, this little brown lady running around the hospital, or is it going to be a really tall white guy with gray hair? Or what does this person look like? Is it a guy or a girl? So, so these are the kinds of things that, and that I'm very happy to actually see that there's a lot more efforts across the board in medicine to say like, well, what does a surgeon look like? What does a, any name, name, whatever kind of doctor look like? And I think that there's a lot of, you know, interest in making sure that we make a change. And, you know, many schools, my, the school that I work here included are really working on how we can get more minorities into medicine and into the various specialties of medicine. It's a rare instance where I would encounter like another Latina surgeon on my day to day. You know what I mean? I am very fortunate in that in Rochester and here at SUNY Upstate, there's a lot of women surgeons, um, which I think is a more rare instance. Um, so in some ways, I feel like I've been sort of lucky or privileged, if you will, in being super used to seeing other women surgeons. I know that there are other women surgeons that I know at other institutions where there's not as many. 
So even if we just think about it from a purely, you know, men and women point of view, becoming a surgeon as a woman is also kind of a rarity, but we're changing that. Uh, uh, my residency class, we were the first class at Rochester of seven women uh, surgery residents. So that was kind of a fun experience and they did this article on it and stuff, but it's happening much more frequently at lots of other schools, which I mean, cause it used to be like always all guys. And now we had a class that was all women. So everyone was losing their minds over that, but it worked out great. That's awesome. I, I wanted to bring up that question because for any students that are thinking about our minority students specifically, that are thinking about going to surgery, they know at least hearing it from you, what to expect when you get into it, that there's not going to be a lot of diversity, but this is a reason why we need more surgeons that are from different backgrounds as well. So we can change this and it can evolve as well. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say that sometimes I think it's really special for patients, which again, like to me, the, the thing I love the most in the world is, is connecting with patients and taking care of patients. Like that's what I love the most about my job. And I think that there are these moments where like you can recognize this instant relief when the patient realizes like you speak Spanish, right? Or oh my gosh, they're going to understand me now. And so, you know, I would take care of them the same, you know, and I know that my partners would take care of them the same, but there is some, some importance to that relationship between the patient and their doctor that it it just is what it is. Maybe there's some level of comfort, some unspoken cultural phenomenon that occurs, but I think that being able to have representation like that is really, really important to the future, to our patients, to each other. Um, so that we can really make sure that we continue to develop a more fair and just world. You know, and everything you just said, that's definitely my experience. It's just something that's unspoken as soon as you walk into that, into that exam room or that exam space and the patient just knows you get me. So I I agree with that too. And I think it's in every specialty within medicine. um, So I completely agree. Yeah. So um, if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self in high school and college, what advice would you give yourself? Keep going. Don't give up. The dream's worth it. You know, I think one thing that I, and I, I share this with lots of people because I remember some of my like dearest friends in medical school, like they had this moment where I, like, it seemed like almost like they were like, wow, I, I don't even know if I want to be a doctor anymore, you know? And I'm so thankful that I've never felt that way. I've never regretted it. So I guess I would just tell my younger self when you're having those doubts, like, keep going, you're going to get there and study more, (laughs) you know, like work on those habits a little bit more, because I think that's, that's hard, you know, like figuring out how to go from being like the top student at your school with barely any studying to going to a place where like everybody was the top student at their school. And now it's like, oh gosh, like I really got to get my study skills in order. So I think you know, working on that a little bit earlier would have been helpful. Like it all worked out in the end. Um, And certainly I talked about some of those study skills support groups and tutoring classes and stuff that I had. But I think sometimes, you know, you're just so used to being like the top student in your class and you don't have to do anything to to get there. But as you go further along, you're going to need more than just like your brain. You know, you've got to really build habits and time management and those kinds of things that all seem like dumb and like, okay, whatever, lady. But it's really, it will become important because there will be too much to do, not enough time, and you'll have other obligations as you get older. You know, you may decide to have a family. Um, You also want to do other fun things that keep you sane besides only studying. So figuring out how you can balance all that stuff out and get it to squeeze into one day uh, will be really important. 
Amen to everything you said. I definitely felt the same way when I started college. Yeah. So, it's, um, a, it's a bit of an awakening, like, oh my gosh, how is it possible that I got to see, you know, and it's like, okay, I got to get a game plan together here. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully when for everybody listening, I think they've heard these stories before. Good. <laughs> as, as we wrap up, is there anything else or a piece of advice that you'd like to let our listeners know about your career in medicine or specifically in surgery, anything else? I think just always keep an open mind and wherever you are, you know, try to learn something from the people that you're around. I think people want to help. People want to, um, to show you what their career is about or to help guide you in one way or another. So be ready to kind of receive that help or that information or like gather things from people. So, you know, it's like take people for what they're worth. And I don't mean that in like a negative way, right? Like take everybody's stuff, but really realize that people are giving you gifts of their time as you encounter them or, or ideas or things. And all of those things will shape you and make you in one way or another. So wherever you are, try your best to get as much knowledge and experience as you can um, so that it can help you as you're moving along with other things. And, And I think having those kinds of skills will help you be successful wherever you are. Because if you're a hard worker, nobody's ever going to be mad at a hard worker, okay? No one's ever going to be mad at somebody who's an honest person, who communicates well. So these are things that will help you, aside from all the the academic stuff, right? All the, like the science knowledge that you're going to need. Make sure that you are learning how to connect with people and and trying your best to to gather the wisdom from everybody else, if you will. Um, So I guess that would be kind of my philosophical, you know, try to put good things out into the world and, and, and take good things from the world. So it's this nice exchange of, um, of ideas and, and good energy. That was wonderful. And I couldn't have said it better. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Guzman Curtis. Um, I hope that anyone who's listening today has been inspired to perhaps continue to pursue that dream of becoming a surgeon. We need to diversify that field, definitely. Even if you're a female, a girl, you can do it too. You heard her as well. So um, thank you so much. And I hope that we continue to improve the numbers of minorities in surgery or in, in any surgical field as well. Thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to hearing about future successes of the podcast and all of our listeners. Peace and love, everyone. And I hope you enjoyed today's podcast.